0: Today today we're gonna be finishing our series on the sacredness of work. Uh, We believe that God has given us work and it's a very sacred thing. And uh, actually the series probably started even before we officially started the series with Andrew Arndt, if you were here, he talked about life in the vapor, uh, that really anything that we do, any effort that we put forward outside of a relationship with God is really vapor. Uh, It's really meaningless. Um, But yet when we put ourselves back into relationship regardless of what we're doing with God it just it brings life to it and then pastor Ed kicked off the uh, series officially several weeks ago when he talked about that the reality is that we were given work as part of our design this is not because of the fall this is not you are cursed with work um, because of the fall Adam and Eve were given work they were given a garden to take care of and work to do now, certainly, the fall tainted the sacredness of work, and we started working for the wrong reasons. We started working just to get money and to try to get more money. Um, we uh, so that we you know we work so we get get things so we can have more things so we can get more storage bins to put our things in to get more things. You know how that goes. Uh, we started working so that we could be a little bit higher on the rung of the ladder than the next guy. Well, I do this and it makes me feel better, because in our culture, this role is a little bit more valued than this role. And we started working again um, for all the wrong reasons, oftentimes then even susceptible to allowing our work to actually be the sole identity of who we are um, as, a, as a person. And And so the fall tainted it, but work is still a sacred thing. It is something that if we if we give everything that we do to God, that he redeems it, that he makes it something that's very valuable to him and to the culture, and it just smells wonderful to him. And then Dr. Doctor Green followed that up with giving us kind of a story on the juxtaposition between the Mary and Martha story. We've heard of that to where what should we really be giving ourselves to? And the reality is it's to both. There are times where we are to dig in and work and work hard, but then there are times that we're to rest and that we're to literally sit at the feet of Jesus. And it's really our responsibility to sense what am I supposed to give myself to? That if I'm out of balance uh, in my life, that something begins to unravel. Matter of fact, stress studies um, show us that that each of us were made to do a lot of work. We're made to put a lot of effort into something. And so if you can envision that we're kind of climbing a mountain and we work really, really, really hard. But if we don't have a corresponding valley of recovery before we work really, really, really hard again, then eventually we're going to start unraveling. In the American culture, oftentimes we work really, really hard and then we take just a really quick break and work really, really hard and a little quick break and, and things begin to dismantle. Uh, in our life, So we have to find that balance between Mary and Martha's story. Then Pastor Ed came back again last week and, and basically, if you would um, summarize his message, it's basically just don't be rude to God, um, that he wants to be involved in everything that you're about, that everything that you do, that there's not this delineation between sacred and secular, that everything you do, he wants to be involved in. And sometimes we're just rude He's like there ready to be involved and we're not even paying attention. And so it's how do I pay attention in everything that I do in my life that he is there and that he wants to be involved in that. So we're gonna wrap that up today and put our little bit in. I say bit because we've been in England and they say bit instead of part, you know, so we're just so English now. Um, the reality is our life is pretty short and it's pretty temporary. And the reality is whatever you walked in here today with that you're stressed over or that you're worried about is not even gonna matter in the end. But yet he gave us work to do. And it is sacred and it is important and significant. And so we want you to think about that today and realize that all of us, if we don't have meaningful work to do, We are not very happy campers. We are not gonna find the level of fulfillment and the abundance of life if we do not find that meaningful work in our life.
1: Whenever I think of the idea of we were made to work, God created us to do that, it takes me back to the early 90s, and we had that VCR um, TV combo. Do you guys remember those? Well, we had some that. of you
0: remember those. Some, some of, of you of weren't the, born yet. Some of you, you were the haven't. toddlers
1: using those, and and I loved it with all these little kids because my toddlers could go, and they could take Jungle Book and plug it in, the VCR, and the TV would turn on, and it would start running all by itself. So from a young age, they could put that in. They spent a lot of time watching videos. Um, <laughs> never mind. So... One day I quit working, so I took it to the um, repair guy back when we had TVs repaired, and I took it in, and, and uh, when I came back to get it, he said, uh, ma'am, I opened that thing up, and uh, there was jelly in there, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> wonder how that happened. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking, we're lucky that everybody's alive at the end of the day. You know, we're doing the best that we can. But I, I'm hurrying to change the subject. And so I'm like, oh, by the way, I was given a uh, videotape rewinder. Remember those, some of you? And, and I was just wondering, should I just always rewind the videotapes in the rewinder and not wear the VCR out? And he looked at me, paused, he looked at me, he goes, ma'am, these things are made to run. They are made to run. You just keep using it because these are made to run. And so anytime you question work, you go, you know what? I was made to run. So keep keep that in mind. When we lose our sense of purpose, when we don't feel like we are doing something meaningful, it's easy for us to get depressed. It's easy for us to get discouraged. We see it in people that have lost their jobs. It's easy to settle into discouragement. I've seen it in athletes that are injured. This has been their whole life, and now they're injured. And it's, what do I do now? I see it in moms when their kids all leave home. And it's, I've put all of my energy into raising these kids. Now what? How do I fit? Where do I go from here? And some of you guys may have seen that in college. You know, you go into college, and you were the star of your youth group, or you were the homecoming queen, And you get there, and there's like six homecoming queens on your floor. I I remember um, I was the top French student in my high school. I took French for a number of years. I was the top student. So I get to ORU, and I get in my first class, which is an advanced one because I'd taken so much. And everybody in there was like from Canada or France. It's like, okay, there is something terribly wrong with this. I just went from being the top to being down at the bottom. We all want to know where do we fit? Am I significant? Is there a place for me here? When Brent and I were talking about, at one point with a friend of ours, we were talking about what is our role and does that ever end? Do you ever get to a point where you go, okay, I'm done with the call that God has on my life. And this friend that we were talking with, who's another therapist we've known for years, says he said he has not found any biblical reference to retirement, that he, you can see that you slow down and you may change what your task is, but retirement, he doesn't feel like is anywhere that he's found in scripture. Now, th- that is not saying that we think you're in sin. If you retire, um, Brent and I don't go up and tell people that they're in sin. That's what Ed does. <laughs> Ed does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell Ed that I try hard not to offend people and I just leave it with him. Um, <laughs> but I do believe that we all need to have that sense that there's a purpose in what I do. There's a purpose in what I go about, both from my personal experience and some studies that I've seen. I just recently came across, a, it was an article in the British Medical Journal, and it talked about how early retirement is actually hard on you and leads to early death said a study of the Shell Oil employee shows that people who retire at age 55 and live to be at least 65 die sooner than people who retire at 65. After age 65, the early retirees have a 37% higher risk of death than their counterparts that retired at 65. And that's not all. People who retire at 55 are 89% more likely to die in the 10 years after retirement than the people who retire at 65. Now, my own personal experience, my father was a very, very hard worker. He had a really rough upbringing, and so he worked from the time he was really young and was a businessman that always had ideas. I mean, we could be on vacation, we could be anywhere, and he was going, you know what? I could make a business out of that that's a good idea. I should do that. And so he was always coming up with new business ideas or building his business or doing something else. I was laughing the other day because he had one of the first fax machines in our area. And he was like, eventually people are going to send everything electronically and we're not going to have paper. And I remember being young going, oh, really dad, you know, but he was always looking for those ideas. And so he thought about business all the time. Now, the interesting thing was when he finally retired Within a few weeks after his retirement, he had a brain aneurysm. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. We can look at all of those. But as a family, one of the things that we've talked about is he didn't have a purpose anymore. He didn't have anything to think about. He was used to always thinking, and it was hard on him. Now, Brent's family, we have seen exactly the opposite. Brent's family, his dad and his grandfather, retired at a young age, but they went on to lead full, wonderful, meaningful lives and live to an old age. But there was a difference in that because when they retired, they had always been involved in community activities, they'd always been involved in church, and so when they retired, they switched and started being very involved in their church activities. We have said they were unpaid church staff members Because they stepped up and said, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. They changed jobs, but they continued to have that purpose, and they continued to be involved in things that kept them active. Brent's mom's in her 80s now, and she still is doing so many things and is involved in so many things, because she hasn't lost her sense of purpose.
0: Now, we realize that most of you aren't thinking about retirement. We have a pretty young congregation. Um, But I want you to to not miss the story here and, 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 and the concept here. You were created by God to work. And there's a uniqueness about your design. There's a uniqueness about the work. And one of the most important reasons that you were called to work is for your own fulfillment, is so that you live this full, abundant life. We believe there's a couple of reasons. One is that, and the second is that you then add to the community, that you, you serve the community with your gifts, and those things bring about abundant living. Now, in our time together here, you're gonna hear a little bit of a, a tension uh, between this idea of you were designed to do a unique thing and have a unique purpose, um, and it's about discovering that, and then making sure that we don't get to a point to where it's all about me. Um, that life is just about me finding fulfillment and that's the essence of life. We have to make sure that, that we don't um, get to that point because we, are, um, we do find a sense of, of life and call and purpose when the, within the context of community and that we're just a piece of that uh, and just a part of that. But in 30 years of ministry, I would say that probably the number one question that I have been asked by individuals is, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be about? What is, what is life about? What's the purpose of life? Am I just supposed to kind of work and trudge out a living and raise a family and come to services every weekend and then I die? Is that, is that the whole point of life? So keep, keep these um, ideas in mind when we talk just for the next few minutes about the idea of what is God's plan for you? What is his plan for your life? We have found those individuals that discover a sense of purpose. They discover a sense that this is what I'm to be about. That regardless of their circumstances, regardless of what they go through, the difficulties and the challenges of their circumstances, they find life, they find energy, they find a greater sense of fulfillment when they discover that and then they act on that.
1: I also came across a study this week that showed that people who don't like their work have a number of negative attributes or they have a number of issues that come up as employees. They were things like lack of motivation, lack of energy, lack of engagement, going through the motions, being bored at work, clock watching, living for the weekend, wishing the day away, not completing tasks to the best of their abilities, friction in their relationships, mood swings, feeling unhappy, And I have to say, after I read that, it was like, duh, they needed a study for that. Like, we don't all know what it's like when you're not satisfied in your job and how easy it is to start clock watching, or how you have people working with you and they're not engaged in their job, and how they have all these negative attributes. Now, scripture is clear. If we are doing something, even if we don't feel fulfilled by it, God has called us to work at it with all of our heart as if we're working unto the Lord. But we have to know that there's a natural tendency if I'm not in a job that it would be my dream job or that is my ideal, I'm gonna struggle with some of those feelings and I'm gonna have to fight that feeling of discouragement or depression because I wanna be in a job where I fit. and In contrast, this article said, there are individuals who are happy in their work and this contentment carries through to the things outside of their work as well. When people were happy in their work, they were happier individuals all the way around. Their whole life was better. They talked about being happier with your work. They defined it as spirit at work. And according to them, they said spirit at work involves profound feelings of well-being, a belief that one's work makes a contribution, a sense of connection to others, and a common purpose An awareness of a connection to something larger than themselves. That's what we're looking for. We are looking for a connection of something that is bigger than us. And we want to know, where is my place in that? Where is my place in the body? Where is my place in in the work world? What does God have for me to do? And we found that when people discover that, they are energized, energized. They are more likely to work with joy because they know where they fit. But it has to be a discovery. It's not something you make up on your own. We were at Laura's um, concert last night, and she is amazing. And she has this energy, and she was belting out these songs. It felt like it was just coming through her whole body. And it was so impressive, and it was so, a lot of us were just crying because it was such a sweet, sweet time. I couldn't be Laura no matter how much I tried. I could push myself and go, well, I'll just have voice lessons and I'll learn how to do this and I'll learn how to do that. That's not my part. That's not who God created me to be. Laura is supposed to be Laura and I'm supposed to be me. So you can't just pick something and go, okay, this is what I'm going to be and where I'm going to fit. God has placed things within you in the way that you were made that are a part of your call and your fit and your purpose. Now,
0: as a side note, to those of you that are just entering the workforce, um, don't be surprised that you're not gonna have to do stuff that you don't like to do, um, (laughs) that does not energize you in the beginning. So it's not like we get to pick our first job and go, well, I just want to do this because that's what I'm called to do, and just do those things that energize you. That's probably not gonna happen initially. (laughs) Um, But if you give yourself to all of those things that you're asked to do. God will use those experiences, even the mundane and seemingly meaningless, to form something in you. And he will use it later. And you will be absolutely amazed at how he has used those experiences. You're going, what am I doing this for? He will use that in some capacity in your life uh, in the future. Um, When I was in graduate school, we were married and, and I needed a job that... Would be flexible enough that I could still go to classes but still provide for us as a family. And so a buddy of mine and I um, founded a remodeling company. We, we built houses and did room additions and attic renovations. I wasn't really trained in that. I didn't go to school uh, for that. He had some experience in that, but we kind of did on the job um, training. I'm so glad that the people that we were doing these. Uh, renovations for didn't know that because um, at night we would get in a place in the project and we had a, a friend of ours that was kind of our mentor he'd been in the building business in 30 years for Tulsa and so we'd go sit down with him and say okay we've got the whole we've added that we've put in the the slab we've added the whole framework for the room addition but how do we tie the roof into the old house And he would sit down and sketch it out for us and show us how to do that. Again, I'm so thankful that people didn't know that. Um, We we uh, have
1: driven by, and those houses are all still standing. You know, we were really happy to go. Fortunately, (laughs) my buddy and I were
0: both perfectionists, and we really made sure it was done right. We probably earned about 50 cents an hour because all the time we put in these projects. Um, But uh, it was not what I was called to do. It It seemed like just a paycheck at the time. But God has done something with those skills over the years. Uh, first of all, I have learned those skills. And when I, I've had the opportunity now to every home that we've ever bought, I basically do quite a bit of remodeling. We're able to buy a, kind of an older house and fix it up and, and, and make it nice. And, it, and that work is incredibly therapeutic for me. With the work that I do, uh, there's something about working with my hands and the big thing is that when I get that project done, it's actually done and it's finished. If I go in and remodel a bathroom and, and retile the, the reframe and retile the, the, the shower area and redo the bathroom, when I'm totally finished with that, I can look back and go, it's finished. And I don't walk in the bathroom next week and one of the tiles talks to me and says, I don't like being in this bathroom. Uh, I'm really not happy with this. And can you move me to another place in the house? I've never had that happen. Um, Because it's absolutely finished. In everything else in my life, as a pastor and as a counselor, nothing is finished. Ever. Everybody is in process. Everybody is just growing and developing. And nobody ever arrives. Nobody is ever finished. (laughs) I can't ever put a bow on it and go, "They're done," you know, <laughs> and uh, and so it actually is incredibly um, wonderful for my life. God has used that as a pastor in ministry. I've I've overseen several building projects over the years, and additions to buildings, and built some buildings, and and so that very thing that I all I thought was just um, just earning a paycheck um, actually God used in a significant way. I remember. Um, sitting in an attic down in Utica Square. We were doing a whole upstairs renovation. It was about, it was in August. It was like 120 degrees up in the attic. Um, there was an electrician that I was working with there. I was doing the framing. He was, he was doing all the wiring. And he was from a little town in rural Oklahoma. He had such an accent that he, he said, he talked for like five minutes uh, and told me all this stuff. And I don't think I understood a word he said. Um, his his slang was so strong. And I, I remember sitting there going, so this is what I'm doing with my life. Um, just about to finish graduate school, and this is not even my field, and so this is, this is how it's ending up. Um, but God has used that in a very significant way. So trust that. Even, again, those of you that are kind of starting into work, trust that what you do, if you give yourself to it. I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about valuing um, all the parts of of the team. I learned about service, serving people and serving families. And um, even though um, it didn't feel all that prestigious to me at the time, but there was something that was forming in me at that time. So trust those moments.
1: Mm -hmm. So we're going to look at four important elements today about you that we want you to be thinking about. The first one is you are perfectly designed for what God called you to do. Psalms 139, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you may not be aware of it, but everything you are, your personality, your gifts, the way that your brain operates, all those jobs that you have been a part of, some of them seem meaningless. I've often said, I had so many jobs over the years, and you know what? I think I use every one of them, what I'm doing right now. I gain something from every one of them to use for what I'm doing right now. But God designed you to be exactly who you are for what he's called you to do. We had a close friends that lived next door to us when our kids were toddlers. And, and uh, there was this little tiny blonde girl. She was three. And she was my daughter Caitlin's best friend. Her name was Rachel. And Rachel would come over to our house. And she'd knock on the door. And we'd open the door. And she'd go, is Caitlin home? And at first we were like, what, honey? What did you say? You know? Is Caitlin Is Caitlin home? <laughs> and when Caitlin and Rachel would be together, Caitlin would go, Rachel, it's Caitlin, Kate Lynn. Caitlin. Kate Lynn. Say it, Caitlin, Caitlin, because Rachel's speech was this deep, guttural type of voice, and, and her mom is my best friend, and she had just taken her um, to have her evaluated, have her speech evaluated, and they said, yeah, there are some problems. We're gonna need to get her in speech therapy and, and start working on that. Well, before they started speech therapy, the family was transferred to Switzerland. And they were transferred to the German-speaking part of Switzerland. Well, Rachel's there as a three-year-old and is immersed in German. And not only does she immediately pick it up because she's so little, but the way her speech was was absolutely perfect to pronounce German. So she fit in perfectly where she was at. God knew where she was going. He knew what she was going to do with her life. She actually is still living there now. And when she comes back to the United States now in her 20s, she has a German accent, but she doesn't sound odd or different. God knew who you were in the beginning. And all of the things that you've gone through, the family that you were raised in, everything that you were involved in is working together for what he wants you to do, with your life.
0: You are perfectly you. You've been designed to be perfectly you. Matthew five, forty-eight, a rather strange verse, says, Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. That was probably one of the most intimidating scriptures I've ever read. Um, <laughs> and if I read it with kind of performance, a performance focus, then I will just be eternally depressed because I just realized. <laughs> Give it up, Brent. There's just no way you're ever going to do good enough. You're just always going to be, you know, um, a mess up. But that's not um, what these words mean. The meaning here um, of perfect refers to maturity or full grown. It also has this very intriguing meaning of being true to your form or aim or purpose. So, being perfect is being true to your form if we find out that we've got a, a nail that's exposed on the wood floor up here, and if I come over and grab one of these guitars and start banging on it, not only am I giving our musicians a heart attack, um, but, but that's not what it's designed for. Now, I might be able to get the nail in, but the guitar's gonna be in shambles. Uh, it, it will damage it, because that's not what it's designed for. I need, I need a hammer. Um, have you ever tried to put a slot-headed screw in with a Phillips-headed <laughs> screwdriver? It's so frustrating. You know, you kind of turn it at an angle and try to turn it a little bit. It just, it, it, it wasn't designed for that. And so you do what you were designed to. Uh, very fascinating scripture uh, when Jesus is praying to the Father about his own purpose. In John 17, I love the way the message Bible explains It says, I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail. Now, when Jesus left the earth, it doesn't look like it was finished to me. There was still sin in the world. There was still sickness. There were serious injustices. Mm -hmm. But he came to do what he was called to do. He came to be the savior of the world. He didn't come to lay hands on the whole population and heal all the sickness at that moment. He did what he was designed to do. So you bring glory to God by fulfilling your assignment, not your neighbor's assignment, not anybody else's assignment in this room, but your assignment. That's how you bring glory to God.
1: And for most of us, it brings us a sense of relief when we go, okay, this is my part, so I don't have to be this or I don't have to be that. One of the things I love about our sanctuary staff is we have the best staff with different gifts. We don't duplicate each other. We're very, very different in the things that we do, and it makes us work together perfectly. I don't know if many of you guys know Roger, but Roger does all our business stuff, and he is gifted at reading these long, boring contracts, at comparing the insurance companies to see which would be the best insurance for us. Now, if I had to do that, I'm sure I could do it. But I would rather you just stuck needles in my eye. I mean, it's just the idea of trying to do that is like, oh, please don't make me do that. So we all have our different place. We all have our different fit in what we're supposed to do. Now, Britt and I are interesting because we do the same thing. We're both counselors, we both speak, we're both involved in the church. And yet, for those of you who don't know us, we're very different. We have extremely different personalities. So how does that work? Well, what I found is I am supposed to be perfectly me in those roles, and he's supposed to be perfectly him in those roles. I used to be intimidated when we were first started in counseling because Brent is very methodical. I know that surprises you, but he's very methodical, and he's really good at teaching people skills. So when he meets with someone for counseling, he's very good at teaching them skills, I, on the other hand, really feel like my purpose is more to be inspiring and encouraging. And so when I meet with people, I don't do as many skill building exercises, but I give them hope and I give them encouragement. Not that he doesn't, but we do it differently. And it's okay because some people need to see me and some people need to see Brent. And it doesn't mean that we're better or worse. It's that it's just a different fit. And we have to know where we belong. And we have to say, I'm okay in that. It's too easy to get caught up comparing ourselves with somebody else. And to say, well, I just do this. So, you know, it's not like it's real glamorous or anything. I just do this little thing. And we discount who God has called us to be. We think our part is too little or not exciting enough. But when you think about in the book of John, remember the little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus? and Jesus used it to feed the 5,000? When he presented that, it seemed ridiculous. Really, you're gonna give me this? But Jesus didn't see it that way because he knew what he could do with it. So he took the lunch and he multiplied it and said, this is what I can do with what you've given me. So whatever you're doing, even if it seems little, even if it seems insignificant, when you turn it over to Jesus, He chooses what he does with it. It's not your business to figure out the long term. Your job is to be obedient and say, this is what I am. This is what I do. And Lord, I'm giving that over to you.
0: Number two, God chooses us for different reasons than the world chooses people. If you look at the life of Jesus and Paul, um, they were actually on a human level, very unlikely people to have been chosen to do what they were doing. Jesus was born in a lower class family, in a minority race, and the king was out after his life. Paul was actually considered an enemy of the gospel, the very thing that he was going to take into the nations. He was actually an enemy of that before he had that experience where he received and accepted his call. Moses fought his call. Um, God said, I want you to go deliver your people. Moses was like, you got to be kidding me. I don't know, how am I ever going to convince the Pharaoh? God, get Aaron, my brother. He talks way better than I do. Um, Why me? And God kept saying, no, I've chosen you to do this. I've chosen you to do this until he finally leaned into it. Mary's response was, who am I that the Lord would honor me? Jeremiah fought his call. Uh, Jeremiah uh, one five says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. But Jeremiah replied, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said, do not say, I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God has created you from the beginning of time to be you and to do that that you've been called um, to do, to be and to do. Our responsibility is just simply obedience. We respond to the place that we're at and we work as unto him. He is responsible for the results. So we're in the efforts business. He is in the results business. Mm
1: -hmm. Number three, the world needs you to be you and serve others through the things he has called you to do. If you are discounting your call or you're not stepping out into something that God's called you to do, not only are you missing out on having that fulfillment and having the abundant life that God has for us, but we're missing out. We need you to be you. We need that elbow or that ear or that eye. We all fit together to do God's work. And so we all need to be doing the very thing that he called us to do. Uh, When we do that, or the way we do that, is when we really think about what Christ has done for us. When I think of what he has done for me, who am I not to stretch out and go, okay, this is uncomfortable because I don't think I'm quite as important as somebody else, but I'm going to do it anyway in service to you. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Sometimes we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone to do the thing that God's called us to do because that is laying down our life for our brothers, that is being what we are to be, to fit perfectly in the body together. We find that when you feel that you're fitting though, you begin to get energy. You begin to go, yes, I feel settled. I have the energy to do what I'm called to do. But when you try to push yourself to be something that God didn't create you to be, When you push yourself, not in jobs where you know you have to do this stuff that you really don't like, but you have to because you're called to do that, that God gives us the grace to do. But when I try to be somebody that I'm not, if I try to lead praise and worship, not only will it be terrible for all of you guys, it will wear me out as well. We have to fit in what he's made us to do. We laughed when my son Preston, some of you guys know Preston, he's a pastor. And when he got married, his wife Ashley had several family members come up and say, well, he's gonna be a pastor. So do you need to start taking piano lessons? Or or do you need to start taking singing lessons? I used to always laugh and say, I would never marry a pastor because one, I'm not sweet. And two, I don't sing and play piano. We could push ourselves in that to try to satisfy someone else. But that's going to be exhausting. We have to be content with who we are and do what God has called us to do. When
0: I first came to OU back in the 70s, um, we had a guy on our floor that believed that if you really love God and if you really love people, then you would spend all of your free time doing street witnessing. And in that time in Tulsa, um, Peoria was kind of the strip And all the young people would hang out. They would just go park in some of the parking lots along the way. And uh, this guy would try to corral a bunch of people from our floor every Friday and Saturday night and whenever else he could. And he would just go from parking lot to parking lot, you know. Do you know where you're going to be if you die tonight? And, you know, kind of confronting people. and, And just kind of gave everybody the impression that this is the way to serve God. And I just remember hearing all that and the guys going out and I just felt just this kind of my stomach turning in knots, you know, just because it just wasn't wasn't something I really was interested in doing. But I started feeling really guilty and feeling like, well, I guess that's maybe what you're supposed to do. And I was still kind of young and in my faith. And so he kind of convinced me to do that. And I did it a couple times and I absolutely hated every second of it uh it just it just did not feel right I mean he you know this is one of those personalities that could be a you know a car salesman and just never met a stranger and he just got energized by doing this and I just felt all out of sorts but little by little kind of my life as I began to unfold there as a student um something began to happen in my life and I I would have guys on the floor and they just for some reason would just start knocking on my door just say hey Brent you got a minute and they would come in and they would talk for hours about, you know, they'd talk about girlfriend problems and family problems and school problems and whatever kind of problems. And, and uh, something happened in me in those conversations it, it absolutely energized me. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you know, we got the street witnessing thing handled. This is what I've called you to do. And it started settling in me that we don't all do the same thing. Uh, good friend of mine, Dave Jewett. Some of you may know Dave. He is uh, is in town here. has a ministry called Your One Degree, and the idea is that out of three hundred and sixty degrees, there is one degree that is your design. That's what your supposed to do. That's what you're designed to do. And the idea is to be able to discover that and to be able to to live in that. As a matter of fact, if, if this idea of purpose and what am I supposed to be about and discovery is kind of fascinating to you, you can go on. He has an online process that is kind of a self-discovery process that's very effective that kind of starts you um, in, the, in this journey. You can just go and Google it. Um, but he has this idea of uh, there are things in our life that are red lights, there are things that are yellow lights, and there are things that are green lights. Those things that are red lights are those things that if you do them, it'll suck the life out of you. Um, street witnessing for me was, was one of those. Uh, if the only job on the planet was a door-to-door salesman, I could do it because I wanna you know, provide for my family, but I can guarantee you I would be drained at the end of every day. I'd be going, why don't they wanna buy my product? what's, What's the problem here, you know? I mean, it would just take the life out of me. And he says there are things that are yellow lights, and these are things that you have to do, you can do, that you're qualified to do, but they're kind of neutral. They don't really add much, but they don't really take life away. And then there are green lights. These are the things that when you do them, it lights you up, it energizes you. That's the kind of stuff that you would do even if you didn't get paid for it because of what happens in your life. And so the idea is, as we develop in life and recognizing that we don't get to just choose our first jobs, that all I wanna do is green lights. That's not all the way, we we have to kind of develop into this. But the idea is the more in our life that we can do our tasks that are green lights and all of us are gonna have to do some yellows but try to stay away from the reds, we're gonna find that place uh, of abundance and fulfillment in our life. And we're gonna be more effective in what it is that we do. Uh, The first part of my ministry was spent uh, working in a megachurch, and I worked with a pastor who um, had this personality that was just, he was just like on all the time. If you think Pastor Ed is the Energizer Bunny sometimes, take that times 10, and that was this guy. Um, He was very musical, um, so he would, um, oftentimes at the end of our praise and worship, which were very intense and passionate, he would take the microphone, and he would take over, and Uh, He might end up kind of dancing up and down the aisles and just was just alive. And I I say, you know, he kind of had the whole congregation spiritually frothing at the mouth, okay? And then he was finished and he would pray. And then I'm like supposed to get up and do something. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. How in the world am I gonna follow that? How am I gonna be that? Because obviously the people like that, that. There's a response to that. You know, I kind of had this sense that, well, if you really are called by God and are anointed, that's what you would look like. And so I felt this pressure early on in the ministry that I need to somehow become that. And I felt very distinctly one time sitting on stage right before I was to get up, God saying, I've already got one in. I need like the opposite of that. I need a whole different expression And so you are always going to be the the more staid, the more logical and analytical one. Just get used to it. And my response to that was, well, but it looks like people like that better. And in 30 years, he's never responded to that question. He's just (laughs) left me hanging out there. Um, But little by little, I had to learn how to just be okay with me, with this is who I am. It's not the whole thing. I'm not the whole package, but I'm supposed to be this part. And if I step into that, then I can, that's a green light for me. I can be at peace. I can be fulfillment. And I will, and I will give the best to the community when I um, walk in what I'm supposed to do.
1: Number four, doing the job he has called you to do is the key way that we worship God. Ed said last week that we often separate the spiritual from the secular, so it's like spiritual is reading my Bible and going to church and, and praying, and secular is my job and my home and taking care of the kids and that kind of thing, but there's no distinction. All of those are spiritual to God. All of those are the ways that we worship him. Romans 12:1 says, therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship. When we think of worship, we think of what goes on on stage here on Sunday morning. But that is a tiny part of the worship that God has for our lives.
0: Here, this word worship refers to service. And one of the meanings that it has is work for hire. Whatever it is that you're doing with your hands and even the work for hire, when you do that as unto the Lord, you are worshiping God. How many of you are thankful for indoor plumbing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably most of us, right? I, now, I've overseen construction projects, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do the plumbing. It always kind of freaks me out on how it works. Um, if, if, if plumbing was left up to me, I'd be drink, digging trenches out in the backyard, which would be bad. Um, but I'm thankful that there are those that are gifted to do that. They're serving the culture. Uh, we go and we flip a light switch on, and bam, we, we have lights. They, those that are doing that as unto the Lord are worshiping God. We were coming back from England and we were flying at 37,000 feet. It was minus 57 degrees outside and we were over Greenland. And I remember thinking, I am really glad that somebody knew how to engineer these wings um, that they stay on. Um, and because it would not work very well if they start unraveling. Uh, how many of you are thankful for baristas? This is National Coffee Day. Did you know that? No. Um, the, uh, it never tastes quite as good as a barista can make it at home. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a school teacher and you are teaching as unto the Lord, you are worshiping. If you're an accountant and you are serving your company and serving the culture and you are doing that as unto the Lord, you are worshiping. If you're a, a uh, um, carpenter and you are doing your work as unto the Lord, you, you are worshiping, not just when you're here on the weekends, but on Monday morning, when you're framing up that house to be a comfort and get that family out of the elements and serving the world, you are worshiping. So give yourself to whatever it is that you're doing. Do it as unto the Lord and you will be worshiping God. Colossians 3 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Why don't you stand to your feet? Father, we are quite fascinated by this idea that we are unique. We oftentimes don't feel all that special or all that valuable. We, it's so easy to look at other giftings and and feel somehow discounted in that. But there's this fascination with that we are the only uh, us that has ever been. We have a unique thumbprint, a unique eye impression, different than anybody that has ever been created. And so, we don't know exactly how this all this works, but we believe that you have designed us for a specific reason in your kingdom. And I pray as we discover this and step into that and not to try to be somebody else, but to be who we are. And as each person does that, and they become fully alive, that the interaction of these gifts can be what your church is all about. And it can bring your church alive as we serve the world and be about your work in making all things new. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.